Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the orange and black stack attack, custom water cooling, and the new beast pot. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McKinney. Darren, early this year, I gave away two custom cases. Remember that? Yes, that's right. During the CES trip. Yeah, during CES. Just as a quick recap, I uh, custom painted a Cooler Master half stacker and a Raven 4. And uh, that was in the Hardware Asylum pearl orange, same as the Lambo color. And I think you saw one of those cars. I did. Very sexy. Very jealous. Very jealous. Yeah. So one of the winners, uh, his name was Tim Hall. He's... uh, resides in the United States, and he sent in some pictures of the case. You know, he's really proud of it, and uh, it kind of sparked him into building a computer. Now, that was the stacker that he won, right? Correct. Beautiful case. So what is Tim up to? What's his plan? Well, he posted a, uh, a build blog, and uh, basically the, the blog right now, we're going to go to it right, so we can kind of look at this thing. Okay, so I see. The orange and black attack stack. I like it. Yeah. It's a catchy name. <laughs> I think I think that will actually catch on better than the internet. That's for sure. Very nice. So what's he got in mind here? Let's take a look. All right. Well, he uh, basically talked about the the case that he won. You know, gave me some props for that. And then his plan is to do water cooling in the small section, Ooh. and then a full kind of overclocker friendly build in the main section. Well, very ambitious. And he's looking at. Uh, looks like do-it-yourself cooling. I'm well, seeing a SwiftTech H220 kit on his list. Believe it or not, we were talking over Facebook chat about this, about different water cooling options. And he was thinking about doing like a, a Poseidon video card from Asus. Where I guess there was an oh, open the, box deal or something ooh, like that. Yeah. So that's so, got the built-in water cooling block. Mm-hmm. And if you do an all-in-one cooler, as you know, you can't really break those apart. And then add in yeah, extra. That's very dangerous. And they're not designed like that. You know, I've got two of the Cooler Master Sidon kits mm-hmm. running in my house. Uh, the XL in my main machine. And I loved it. Still do, actually. But it's definitely limited. Yeah. It's just a CPU cooler. So um, what we were talking about was doing a, like a pump res combo. Pump res block combo. Okay. And um, SwiftTake makes one, I believe. So he was kind of looking at that, and then what you do is you buy the pump res block, and then you can add on a radiator and another radiator if you wanted to do kind of a dual. So now hold on, is that like a, a kit that you buy and then you expand on it? Yeah, you can buy them as a kit or you can buy them as individual parts. But on his blog, he has listed uh, the SwiftTech H220, which is a dual 120 millimeter all-in-one cooler. Yeah, and that's very similar to what I'm running, so not very expandable, What? That doesn't look like what he ended up with. No, it looks like he went with the Glacier 240 from Cooler Master. Oh, no, that's a good kit. And it's a much larger kit, actually, mm-hmm. than the Swift Tech unit. So this is a, it looks like it's an all-in-one sort of deal. So um, Then he goes down to power supply. He actually won a power supply with this case, but he um, kind of upgraded to a Supernova A50G2. Well, that's a bigger power supply for sure. He must have a fairly ambitious build in mind yeah he's going to go with uh looks like mushkin ssd that's what he's planning at least oh yeah yeah and he's looking at ram he's gonna go with oh wait no next thing is motherboard well of course you gotta have the brains yeah so it's gonna be the uh soc champion very wow very nice and looks like he's looking at 
5820 or 5930 or 5960X. Ooh, spinny. Yeah. So he's looking at basically all of the uh, overclocking, overclockable LGA 2011 V3 processors. Very nice. Yep. Solid so, build. So I, it looks like he's going to go with the 5930K, although I would really like to see a build with a 5820K, which is that quad core one. Supposedly those can overclock really well. And they're relatively inexpensive. Well, it's an interesting choice. I know that the 5960 is a huge budget-blowing processor, so he must have some reason where he settled into the 5930. Is it the memory bandwidth or...? No, well, it's a it's a hex-core processor still, so you get the six cores, and you get the quad-channel memory, and you get all the PCI Express lanes. Oh, that's right. The only difference is uh, it doesn't have as much level 2 cache, so it won't handle as much uh, system memory. But when you pair that with the SOC Champion and its single bank per channel memory configuration, you know, you're only going to be able to put in 32 megs anyway, 32 gigs. There's no reason for the extra level two cache. Well, that's a very pricey kit. He must be planning on running a pretty impressive video card also. Yeah, let's see. It looks like he's going to go with the, uh, scrolling down, scrolling down, the Asus Platinum Poseidon GTX 980. Now that is an excellent choice, especially because he's already looking at doing a custom water cooling expansion. And as you'd guess from the Poseidon name, I know because I've drooled over this particular card, it has a beautiful built-in water block and it's a large one. Yeah. I'd really like to get a hold of one of those. There's a couple of Asus cards uh, like the Strix that are really designed for overclocking. They don't have the fancy water block built in, but you know, if you're doing LN2, you don't need that stuff, right? So the last item here is a, a bit of a surprise, really. It's um, the Crucial Ballistics Elite. Oh, now he's still doing DDR4 because of the chipset. Mm-hmm. And Crucial, as you know, is a kind of a homegrown hero here. But they have strayed away from what I would consider the really high clocked memory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the advantage of that is you get a solid clock and some of the most dependable memory if you're looking for a solid foundation. The running rumor now is that the... All of the high clocked kits are using crucial chips. Well, so yeah, so well, the that fact takes that, me back to the OCD days, or yeah, OCZ days rather. Well, well, it's been a while. A little bit of OCD, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, as we know, crucial goes and basically they'll sell the stock while the prices are high, and then they'll supply everybody with chips. And then as the prices start to drop and demand starts to drop, then they'll start building their own modules. <laughs> well, it's a good business model. But uh, Crucial has never been one to do high-speed memory that's past or well past JDEC standards, right? Well, it's risky. The, uh, these Elite modules, I believe, he has these listed at like 3,000 megahertz, but that is, um, See, I think that's the overclocked 266. Yeah, I thought those peaked out at 28, if I remember. Well, you know, we have Crucial right here in town. We should just go down there and call them or something. No but. kidding. Well, that's a very impressive build. And then you say that's just in the performance section. So he's got a whole second build he's doing in the small. Yeah, he was talking about doing a mini ITX so that he can stream games, which is something that, um, you know, when we built the new podcast machine, it's basically a stream machine. So it's along those same lines, mini ITX with a good high-end processor and a capture card. Well, and you know, that is actually a really terrific excuse to use a half stacker because what else are you going to use that second machine for? And a capture machine is a terrific synergy for a full-size box, sort of a two-in-one. So I'm impressed. 
Yeah, so I really look forward to seeing when he uh, compiles all these parts together and seeing the build finally come together and uh, see how well that pearl orange looks against that SOC champion. If you haven't already, check out our Facebook feed or the notes from this podcast, and we'll get you linked up with that so you can follow along and see how things turn out on the orange and black attack stack. In the last segment, we talked about Tim Hall's orange and black stack attack custom build that he was talking about, and it really got me thinking. It's been a long time since I've done a water cooling loop. That's true. So you're thinking about putting one together. What do you have in mind? Well, I have a... I have this Inwin S-Frame sitting in my garage. Oh, that is a beautiful case. Lots yeah. of glass. Yeah, and um, for how expensive and um, elite that case is, it really deserves nothing less than a custom water loop. I'm excited about it. So what are you thinking about? you going to put something together from scratch or? Oh, yeah. I'm going to totally do DIY on this cooler. Not necessarily on the video card, but definitely a CPU block, a nice big radiator, pump, and an external res. Well, let's step back a little bit and talk about water cooling in general. I know we have a lot of enthusiasts out there, but I also know that the jump to water cooling can be very intimidating, even for expert system builders. Yes. It's actually a larger leap than just doing like a DIY, or not a DIY, but an all-in-one cooler. Well, exactly. And as we mentioned in the last segment, I have been running all-in-one systems for quite some time, and I haven't probably built a full system from scratch since the Danger Den days. It's been a long time. Yeah, and unfortunately, Danger Den is around no more. And that is sad. But the major reason that I stopped building custom builds was frankly because, as you know, I'm a big LAN party guy, Mm -hmm. and I found I was moving my machine all the time, which was creating loop issues. And I was getting leakage. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, and this was um, in the early days where you just had barbs and and rubber hoses. Yeah. And you know, you really had a hard time keeping those puppies from leaking, but the technology's come a long way. So I got to ask you, other than the obvious, what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of do-it-yourself versus all-in-one systems? The biggest advantage to a DIY is the fact that you can, you can put in anything you want. So if you want to have a triple fan radiator, or if you want to have two dual fan radiators, You can place those in different sections of the case, and all you have to do is run a hose from one radiator to the other. If you happen to have a video card in there, you can run basically from the pump to the CPU to a radiator, radiator to the GPU, back to the radiator, back to the res. That way, the water is always going to be basically supposed to be ambient temperature before it gets back to another GPU. Obviously, you're going to lose, and we're getting a little technical here, but you're going to lose... what they call head pressure by passing through two radiators and stuff like that, which is brings in like dual loops and you know, all this other crazy stuff that a lot of the DIY guys are really into. Well, I've seen some beautiful pictures and honestly, a well-built water cooling kit, especially with the lighting and the colored liquid just looks amazing. But it looks like there's a lot of crap in there that has really come about since the last time I put a build together. Really, the sky's the limit. So maybe let's break it down. What are the critical essential parts? If I were building a core system, what's the bare minimum pieces that I would need to build a do-it-yourself water cooling kit? All right, bare minimum. You can, well, obviously you need something to move the water, so you need a pump. If you want it to go bare bones, there is some pump res combos. 
And, okay. and those are basically, they have the reservoir attached to the pump. So you only, they're supposed to be self-bleeding and takes up less space in your case. So I think I remember seeing stuff like that when I was still messing around with the early AIOs, the kits that you could get that would fit in the five and the quarter bays and stuff. Yep. And then you ran the hoses out from that. So you had kind of one big unit and that seemed kind of risky to me. It actually was uh, convenient because Coolance was probably one of the first companies to do that. Yeah, and I think that's what I used, actually. Yeah, and they uh, Coolance had that set-top box that had the radiator with the fans and then also a res and a pump all in that one unit. And it had the neat display on the front, too, to help you keep track of what was going on. Mm-hmm. The bay versions, or the bay res, like what you're talking about, that was an attempt to have, um, you know, to use up those extra five and a quarter bays. Oh, that, sure. That everybody had, you know, you have one Blu-ray drive and you have 12 other bays in there. <laughs> yeah, especially with the big cases. Yeah. So by putting a bay res in there, basically it fills up two five and a quarter inch slots. And then that's where you fill all your water. And then you can see, get the different levels and it bleeds a little bit better. Okay. So what does that mean, bleed, for the folks that are just getting into this? Well, when you fill a system, you want to make sure that there's no water or all water and no air. That makes sense. Because what happens is you get air in the line, it'll get to the pump, and then it will cavitate. And if you know anything about, like, naval warfare, <laughs> cavitating a, um, a submarine is basically telling the enemy exactly where you are. It makes a lot of noise, and you don't go anywhere. Oh, yuck. Okay, so that's a definitely a performance hit. Yeah. In the water-cooling world, you get an air bubble in the pump, it doesn't move any water anywhere, and it just makes a lot of noise. Oh, that can be very dangerous to your hardware, it sounds like. Yes. So let's see, we've got a pump. We've got a reservoir Reservoir. sometimes together, Mm -hmm. and I know that you must need something to get the heat out of there. Yep. Obviously, you need a CPU block, and Uh there is at least, when's the last I checked, eight different brands of CPU blocks that you could buy. Right. I kind of like the looks of the heat killer, and anymore, they're all... Heat killer. I like it. heat killer. The design of the blocks are uh, basically a micro pin or a micro fin system. Oh, so no more mazes and that sort of stuff like yeah. I remember. Yeah, like the, what was it, the, the Maze 4 from Danger Den. They also had the um, RBX block, which had multiple jets that you could place in the in the block. Those are actually really fun. So yeah, all of them are these micro fins. So it's more or less like, what does it look like? Is it going to match your build? And, and can you afford it? So let me ask you on that. You buy a water cooling system. Obviously, you can replace the pieces parts, mm-hmm. but is it a, a cross compatible thing? Could I use that same cooler with multiple form factors, or am I stuck buying a new one if I upgrade to the new X99 or whatever? Lately, since the dawn of what is it, um, the Sandy Bridge, or even before that, like the 1156s, they, they all use the same socket configuration. So you could use a water block from that generation all the way up to the modern Haswell generations. The same with X79 and X99. Those have the same uh, CPU mounting configurations, although that's Intel. If you take an Intel block and try to put it on an AMD system, it's not going to work. Okay. So you can't just do different clips or something like that. Well, I mean, not as efficiently, it sounds like. Well, as you know, back in the day, they used to have universal mountings. Yes. So... You'd have the Intel block, and then there was a couple of holes in there for the AMD side. Those just basically added a lot of material to the block. Right. And in an attempt to um, kind of streamline the look and make them a little bit lighter, they've started doing, okay, here's the Intel mounting, and here's the AMD mounting. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, and you got to be more efficient if you're, you know, purpose-built, right? Right, exactly. 
So, okay, we got the cooler for the CPU. Mm -hmm. And then I know from my all-in-ones, the next step must be some sort of radiator then. Yep. And uh, I've actually done some pretty extreme radiators, like a single-stage phase. (laughs) Not necessarily um, very sustainable, but it works really well. That sort of defeats the purpose, though, of building a full water cooling system. Yeah, it's more of a water chiller at that point. So (laughs) There you go. uh, Instead of using a single-stage phase to actually chill the water, you would use radiators just like in your car. Oh, okay. So you've got a radiator and hooked up, and more than likely you've got a fan or two or three. Or nine. Nine. (laughs) Wow, nine. Well, yeah, okay. So when you're looking at a radiator, that seems like that's maybe one of the more important decisions because there seem like so many options. I see thin ones, thick ones. I mean, what are you looking for there? There is um, a variety of different um, options. So I always go for the Black Ice brand. Some people swear by other ones, and I think Thermaltake has their own radiator brand now. The idea here is that if you do a thin radiator, you can add a lot more fans and use lower pressure fans to be able to cool the water. Quieter. It's quieter. There's less resistance for the air to go through. Now, if you go with a thicker radiator, which is usually, what is it? They're like 25 millimeter and then they go up to 50 millimeter or something like that. Oh, big, yeah. Yeah. You need to use a high pressure fan or clamshell the fans to be able to get the air to run through there efficiently. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I think my side next L has... One on each side, one that pushes and one that pulls. That's that clam cell that you're talking mm-hmm. about? Yep. Uh, the benefit of the larger radiator is you get more water mass. So you get basically more heat capacity. So you can remove more of it. Uh, there's more water there, more surface area, but it adds more noise. So the you could do a single fan that's a wide radiator, or you could do like a dual fan that is a thin radiator and basically get the same performance. Excellent. So we've got the radiator, we've got the fans... I've seen fanless designs, but that just doesn't seem very safe. Yeah, it it depends on your system. Like if you're running a Core i3, you could get away with a big dual fan without fans and be fine. I remember a Zalman kit that looked like it had like a big chimney thing that would sit next to your computer. Oh yeah, those things are just huge. <laughs> so we go back to that. What other core pieces are we missing? I can't think of any. Hoses. Oh, of course, the hoses. So talk yeah, the about hose. the hoses. Yeah. So to connect these things. Back in the day, we used to do um, like silicon tubing, and there was um, huge discussions on making sure you got like the right tubing. And I, I forget the brand names now, but there was um, you know thick wall and thin wall. There was half inch inside diameter, three eighths inside diameter. All of those had their own benefits. Like the half inch stuff, you basically get more water running sure. through, so it's a higher flow, higher pressure. You could do the three eighths, and that would actually cool any system, mildly overclocked or not. But the hoses were smaller, and it weren't really that impressive. Nowadays, everyone's going with hardline. Oh, yeah, and I think that's what I've been seeing. So it actually looks like, you know, a plumber built your system, for lack of a better term. But it does look neat. Yeah, the problem is, is like with the flexible hoses, you had to um, route your hoses and make sure that you had gentle bends. And sometimes they would put coils on there to make sure they wouldn't collapse. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the hardline, you have to use special fittings on the radiator and the pump and the block and everything to hold on to those hoses. And then you have to bend them using heat or hot water and a special bending tool. You don't just buy pre-bent elbows and such? No, not so much because there's no way for you to know exactly where that bend needs to be. That makes sense. And you can't really splice them together. Ah, that just sounds like you're all back to the old days when we were trying to hook them up with barbs and heat shrink. And (laughs) tees and... Yeah, and crazy 
hose clamps everywhere. So that introduces more risk, it sounds like. But I would also think that it would take away some of the appeal of watching your UV reactive liquid and stuff happen. There's a lot of tubing out there. There's like UV reactive tubing. Oh, that'll do it. So just like uh, in the flexible hose days, you could get like red tubes, blue tubes, and UV tubes. Well, you can do that with the hard line as well. And then if you match that with um, special fluids, you know, dyes and stuff you add to the water, you could get like, what is it, like a blue tube, and then you could put yellow inside (laughs) there. And then once you light that up with UV, it might turn green. Interesting, yeah. Well, I can almost hear the casual user out there shuddering at how scary and expensive this sounds, but what's a good core system cost? Like what would be a good price range to get all your core pieces in a nice, uh, you know, not a cheap setup? You know, I, I've been pricing a build for myself. When I say pricing a build, I'm not writing down prices. I'm like <laughs> sure. picking out what I want. The scariest thing for me was the, um, the barbs because you know, if you go hard line, those those fittings on there are specially designed, and they're like $5 each. Oh, yeah. So you, basically, you need two for the block. You need two for the res, two for the pump, two for the radiator. And then multiply that by five. That's like, you know, almost 100 bucks. Oh, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. So that's a lot of money just for fittings. And then on top of that, you have tubing, and they sell it by the foot or the meter, depending on where you buy it. The blocks are usually 120 almost 200 if you get a really good one 200 is a bit expensive but okay yeah you know, but if you're theory, after a certain yeah if you're after a certain brand yeah hopefully you only have to buy one once anyway well that's the idea the pumps are usually the cheapest part that's a little scary <laughs> <laughs> kind of need a pump that works yep and then the radiator depends on how big you go oh yeah okay so it sounds like we're looking probably $300 or so for a decent system, maybe a little more? Three to five. That's kind of what the my price range was going to be. Yeah, and that all sounds very expensive. I now understand why the all-in-ones are, are so expensive. And we haven't even talked about some of the optional stuff, except for a little bit about a chiller. So mm-hmm. what what could we add? Give us, uh, give us the options. Oh, well, let's see. Well, you could add, like, flow controls. Uh, the fluids are actually, it depends on what you want, but that can vary in price depending on how you mix them together. Now, I remember when I was doing it, they talked about non-conductive water. Did that ever materialize? It did and it didn't. I mean, um, as you know, when you if you use distilled water and you can pour that on a, on a running system, as long as the system is clean and the water is clean, there's not going to be any sort of shorts at all. It's always the impurities in the water that cause the electrical conductivity. Once you add a dye to that or use even glycol, you know, antifreeze in a car, you introduce goo, basically, that can actually attract particles and cause problems. Of course, you don't want your system to leak. And then if it doesn't leak, then this is a non-issue. The only time it becomes an issue is like if you're carrying your system around, you drop it. Uh, you have a slow leak that maybe drips like once a month or something like that. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. And that's what led me back to all in one actually. <laughs> yeah. So there's always a risk and that's something that you need to look into. You know, they say that you need to do a leak test for 24 hours. I've pretty much decided, that, well, over my experience of building these, if it hasn't leaked in the first two hours, chances are 24 hours, it's not going to leak either. Ah. And if you get a slow leak, you're not going to see it in that 24 hour time frame either. It's just that you might get all the air bubbles out of it and it'll be actually running smooth in that amount of time. I see some wisdom to that. So we're talking about picking up some distilled water and bleeding it. 
got that. So there's a little cost of the water. But that's pretty negligible. Yeah, it's like, what, two bucks at the store? So now we kind of glossed over chillers because you were talking about some crazy expensive chiller. Oh, but yeah. But you can add uh, a chiller to your loop, right? Which is essentially like a little refrigerator thing. Yeah, well, the the water chiller loop that I was kind of planning is basically you build the full system and then you have the radiator in there. And then if you want to actually go sub-zero and hook up a single stage phase to it, you have a another CPU block that is mounted to the side of the case. Oh, I see. So you could actually put whatever you wanted on that. Mm-hmm. But you can buy a factory chiller, right? That you just add to your loop. That's like a little... It's not really a factory chiller. What you're thinking of is back in the day, the... Oh, crap. It was that those guys that did Peltier coolers. Oh, yeah. That is what I'm thinking about. Cool it. Yeah, cool it. In fact, I have one of those sitting on my shelf, uh, an eliminator that was a, a combination heatsink Peltier system. I think it has eight of them. Yeah. Well, the problem with the Peltiers is that they're really power hungry. Uh-huh. And with how much heat like a, a Core i7 on an X99 puts out, those Peltiers aren't really going to keep up to keep it below zero, especially when you start overclocking. So... While you can enhance the cooling ability of your system using one of those things, unless you use something like a a single stage phase to actually remove 300 watts every couple of seconds, your money is best spent on just putting a bigger radiator in. Uh, That's good to know. So kind of an obsolete or failed branch of that cooling, it sounds like. Well, it was still cool, though. Yeah, it is cool. But it's it's scary. Yeah, (laughs) just a little bit. So we've got coolers. We've got radiators. Now I see... Water blocks, like we talked about in Tim's build for the different components. Mm-hmm. Now you can, if I'm not mistaken, not only do your video cards, but you can do RAM now too, right? Yeah, you can do um, like RAM blocks. Back in the day, the old dominators that had the removable heat sinks on top, they sold a water block that would go on top of there. DDR4 doesn't get hot. So it's more of a, um, you know, hey, check out my big belt buckle sort of thing in your computer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the VRM coolers are the motherboard chipset sort of coolers. Those are the real custom ones that people really strive to get. So if you go after a, um, an Asus board, chances are E-Tech will, or EK will have built a, um, a full coverage block for that. So you can cool all the chipsets in the VRM and everything. So I think what I'm hearing is that other than maybe your video card, which mm-hmm. is a huge source of heat or upgrading your radiator or a bigger reservoir. Yeah. Um, there's not really much need to buy anything else. No, not really. I mean, it's it's mostly what do you want to get out of your system? Because some people put in fancy little LED displays that will give you water temperature and give you the flow rate and then be able to um, adjust those. Well, I can understand that. If you're going to put three to $500 into a cooling system, you want it to look good mm-hmm. and show enough bells and whistles that you can appreciate that. Because, I mean, that's a lot of effort we're talking about. So a few extra bucks for, you know, custom tubing or UV lighting or LEDs, I mean, that's a drop in the bucket. I would yeah. definitely support that. Well, and speaking of time, I mean, as you and I both know, um, putting together a water loop is not an afternoon project. It oh, usually no. takes a, a week or so to make sure that everything is the way that you want it. Mm-hmm sourcing the parts you want and making sure that the block fits, stuff like that. Add an extra couple of days to do hard line. And, you know, you got, your computer's going to be down for two weeks while you're <laughs> building this system together. So, Well, definitely. I know in the past we've talked about the challenges with trying to find these parts. Mm-hmm. Is there any places that you would recommend for somebody that's out 
pricing or maybe wants to look into a custom set themselves? I, I did a rant on the Facebook page about this. Frozen CPUs, basically, they've kind of lost all of their, um, you know, presence in the market because of the the whole, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but there was a big Reddit story about how everybody walked out. Oh, yeah. They've had some issues. Yeah, they've had issues, and they've had issues for a long time, but that was the place to go to get all of your custom water cooling stuff, air cooling stuff, you know, anything to customize your computer you could get it frozen CPU. Right. Some of the other stores like Sidewinder, you know, I go out of the website, they haven't updated it in two years. So chances are that store's dead. The one that I found that I'm somewhat impressed with is performancepcs.com. Nice. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but um, this is a store out of Florida. It's a lot like frozen CPU. And I've noticed that since frozen CPU is out of the game, they've started to really increase the, the presence on the store. So they've added some things and, you know, the first time I went there, there was items listed. And then when you click on it and say out of stock, oh like, no, you know, that's the e-commerce no, no of like bait and switch kind of makes you not want to browse to see if there's anything else in stock. But I've noticed that a lot of that's been updated. So well, sounds like they're picking up some of that business. Mm-hmm. Well, Hey, if you're interested in water cooling and have questions or simply want to recommend other places, we should be looking for parts. Drop us a line on the Facebook or send us an email and we'll add it to the show notes. So it seems that this particular podcast is all about cooling. So why don't we throw in a little bit of liquid nitrogen fun? Ooh, you know, we are big on the LN2 here. Mm -hmm. When I got into LN2 cooling, I was searching around for a container and this is the the big chunk of copper that sits on your CPU that you pour liquid nitrogen to to actually cool down the CPU, right? Yep. And if you followed us, you know that we frequently refer to that as the pot. The pot. The CPU pot, maybe, but the pot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the container that I ended up buying was from DeBear. I probably mangled that up so he'll beat me up at Computex. But There you go. um, Roman, he's the crazy engineer from Germany, very good engineer, I should say. And he's been building these containers for, I don't know, what, seven years now? So we've talked about this thing in the past, but it's just a monster milled piece of copper. Yeah. So uh, he calls this the beast. The beast. And it is a beast, really. Yeah. And I, I bought this back in 2011. It's basically a round stock, solid chunk of copper that's been hollowed out. So the sides of it are all textured with a bunch of holes drilled down. And then at the very bottom is an array of more holes that are drilled. And then the bottom is a machine lathe. And then there's the bottoms all lapped so that it fits flat on the CPU. And if you've spent any time at all on the ninjalane.com website or Hardware Asylum or any of the associated Facebooks, mm-hmm. you can't help but see pictures of this thing all frosted up and working for a living. Yeah, that is the... The best way to take a picture of a, of a CPU container is when it's all frosty, I think. Well, that's Beast version 1.0. Right. And um, come to find out, Roman made three of these. So I have one of three in the world. Oh, wow. So I'm, uh, I feel a little happy about that. <laughs> but he's uh, created another version of the Beast. And it's not really version two. He just calls it the Beast. Okay. And this container, I've posted some pictures on the Hardware Asylum Facebook page. I've seen them, and it looks nothing like the Beast version 1.0, if you will, that we're looking at today. No, and uh, we'll definitely leave some links in the show notes for this, but 
the uh, the Beast Two or the Beast Container. It is a piece of machined art, for the lack of another term. It's basically a square square stock that's been nickel plated chemically, so it's very very super thin. There is um, the center section is hollowed out into another square, and the base of it is actually flat at the bottom. There's no texture at the very at the the base at the very bottom, unlike the Beast version point one, where there's a bunch of holes. Around the outside, there is um, what is it? Eight, nine, ten, twelve holes that are plunged down into the outside of it. Oh, so it's given it a lot more surface area. Yeah, and uh, if you look inside the container, there's a bunch of vents that are cut into the center section of it that go into those outer chimneys. Oh, wow. If you also notice on the side, all four corners, there's um, a plate that is screwed into the side. And that's basically machining access so that they can get in there and connect those holes together and then connect those slots. So they come back then and seal those outside holes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. According to Roman, there's a um, some liquid Teflon or something like that that goes in there to actually seal that up. Makes sense. So the idea is that when you pour liquid nitrogen into the container, you can make a small pour and it will sit down at the very bottom of the pot and it acts as a very slow, they call it a slow pot. Basically, it doesn't cool down very fast. So it, it maintains temperature, helps you, you know, control your pores a little bit better. Now, if you boo a big splash, then it will go into the outer chambers and it runs into a lot more surface area and starts to evaporate very, very quickly and makes the container very, very fast. Oh, clever. So it's a combined uh, container design. It's one that when I first saw it, I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is new. But I didn't like the fact that the bottom of it didn't have any texture because that's where the frost sits. You know, when you do the, there's a thing I call flashing the pot where you get it down to negative 50 and then you take a propane torch and you heat it up and basically it adds ice crystals and those crystals add surface area. So when you pour the liquid nitrogen in there, it will um, evaporate a lot faster. Well, that makes sense. A little science for you. Yeah. But if there's nothing for those ice crystals to attach to, then it will never actually be uh, very fast. That's not to say that the bottom of this container can't have frost on it or, you know, it'll eventually have water that's frozen, but it's just not very traditional. So I'm looking at the pictures from his Facebook and I see it looks like a custom pot on top Mm -hmm. for the splash essentially, right? But it doesn't look like he's done a lot of insulate on the outside of it. Oh, right. Well, when you buy these containers, just like the the beast that we have right in front of us, you know, radio show, you can't see it, but this is just raw metal. So the pictures are of the raw metal. Ah, that makes sense. So you can, um, like I have a a piece of, um, what is it, three quarter inch Armaflex that I've glued together in a circle. So I slide that over the copper and that actually is what insulates the outside of the container and keeps it from frosting. The pictures that he has here, there's no insulation on it because he kind of wants to show it off. Well, that, that makes sense too, and it does look fantastic. So when is this beast going to be available? In the next month, I believe, is when it's supposed to go on sale. Roman's been working with Case King, which is a custom computer shop in Europe somewhere. Okay. I think it's Germany, or it's the UK, or maybe it's all over Europe. Right, so Case King is his distributor then, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah, and they actually helped him... Uh, finance the beast, I believe. So basically it's going to be sold through their stores exclusively. 
So we'll get a link out in the show notes if you're as excited about this as we are. But I know you cannot wait to get your hands on one of these things. Oh, no. I, um, I've already put in my order. I want to get one of these things uh, too sweet. Unfortunately, since Case King is a European company, the sale will ultimately go through Roman, who will go to Case King to buy it, and then he will actually ship it to me since uh, they don't handle international shipping. But that is the European Union for you, I guess. Well, absolutely. So if you are very serious about your LN2 cooling, this is the top dog when it comes to pots. Yes, I am going to happen to agree with that. You know, the the Kingpin containers have been around for years and people love them. And, you know, some of the original ones, people just swear by them. You know, as with anything, any hobby-related thing, once you get accustomed to your equipment, that's what you keep using and keep, you know, bedding yourself with. But also... As with all hobbies, the equipment is what makes or breaks your success. Well, I can't wait to see the new beast in the shop here so we can put some mileage on it and see how much better this fantastic, highly machine design works over the original. I think we're going to be impressed. So check back and you'll see more of the beast soon. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engineering Production, copyright 2015. Thanks for listening.